0: feel a little bit like I should be sitting down because it's kind of like being in your own living room so it's nice to be a bit cozier than we usually are um, and so yeah so this morning I'm carrying on from our theme of um, moving into the neighborhood um, and I'm going to need you just to bear with me a little bit because I will you might think at the start that actually this is not very relevant to moving into the neighborhood but hopefully by the end it will all make sense and um, so when I was little, we went on holiday to America, we went to Florida and we were there for three weeks and so we went to Disney and the um, theme parks and all those kind of things and it was really exciting and there was lots of fun stuff happened and on the way home, it was one of my aunts that had dropped us at the airport and she came to pick us up then and when, she, when, when we arrived back at the airport, she was standing um, at the arrival gates at the, at the door of the airport. And she, we went over and said hello and she pulled out of her pocket two pieces of cotton wool because she'd anticipated that after three weeks in America and all the fun stuff that by the end of the car journey her ears would be ringing with all the chatter so she had her cotton wool to protect her ears. Um, and, and that's just a funny way, a funny story of Sharon about how noisy our world can be at times. There's so much noise, there's so much going on. There's cars, there's music, and even at Christmas time, it feels like it gets even noisier because there's Christmas music playing, there's Christmas adverts, the shops maybe that wouldn't always play music are starting to play music and our phones buzz and and alert us to messages and there's sirens and there's doors being closed and people chattering and there's wind and there's rain and there's just noise all around us. And even when it gets really quiet, we still, sometimes there's sounds, there's still the sound of even our own breathing. Um, a few of us go to the gym on uh, early morning and two, <laughs> two weeks ago, it just ended up being Nicola and I, um, Neville and Neil weren't able to be there. And I was joking with them that I had never been able to hear my own breath because usually Neville fills the, cha- the, the spaces in between the exercises with his chatter, so I'd never been so aware of how out of breath I was between the exercises. But even visually, our world gets really noisy. There's lots of adverts, and especially at this time of year, people are trying to vie for your attention to buy whatever the latest gift is, whatever the latest gadget is, and um, apparently, they've, they've measured that in public toilets on the back of the doors, they have 40 seconds to get your attention with whatever it is they want to advertise there, so there's not even free, free time then. So true silence is a really, really rare thing. And even when it's really, 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 really quiet, it's very rarely ever silent. And yet silence is everywhere. We have awkward silences, silences when people give us cold shoulders, The silence, it feels like after your child finally stops crying. And the Bible is full of silence. I don't know if you ever remember having like the disposable cameras or even a camera that you would have put a film into. When the photo's taken, the the picture is recorded onto a a film and it's the negative of the picture that's recorded. So it's not actually the, the person, but it's everything around the person that the film records. So when you take it to the, the people who develop it. The negative image is then transformed into the photograph. And actually that's a bit like silence because we're not actually aware of silence, but we're aware of the noise and we're aware of when the noise disappears. Silence is kind of like the blurry background that we don't often notice until it falls onto us. And Advent is a season, season of waiting. And if you think about it, I don't know about you, but if I think about the times of my life where I have been waiting, whether it's waiting on something to happen, waiting on Christmas, waiting on an answer, waiting on direction, I have found that actually sometimes waiting feels like silence. So this morning we're going to go on to a bit of a journey through the Bible, beginning in Genesis. And so the very first sound recorded was God speaking into the silence to create He spoke to create light, sky, sea, plants, stars, fish, creatures, birds, animals, and humans. And then the story goes on, and we meet Noah. And I'm just going to read from Genesis um, 12, where it talks about Noah's life. So it says, in the 600th year of Noah's life, on the 17th day of the second month, all of the springs of the deep burst forth and the floodgates of heaven were opened and the rain fell on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. Now on that day Noah and his sons Shem, Ham and Japheth together with their wives and the wives of his sons entered the ark. They had with them every wild animal according to its kind. All of the livestock according to their kind, every creature that moves along the ground according to its kind, every bird according to its kind, with everything with wings. Pairs of all creatures that have breath of life in them came to Noah and entered the ark. The animals going in were male and female of every living thing as God commanded Noah. Then the Lord shut him in. Now I don't know about you, I can barely even imagine what that was like, but I can imagine it probably wasn't very silent. So for 40 days, the floods kept coming on the earth. And as the waters increased and they lifted the ark high above the earth, the waters rose and greatly increased on the earth and the ark floated on the surface of the water. They rose greatly on the earth and all the high mountains under the entire heavens were covered. The waters rose and covered the mountains to a depth of more than 15 cubits. Every living thing that moved on the land perished. Birds, livestock, wild animals, all the creatures that swarmed over the earth and all mankind everything on dry land that had had breath in its nostrils had died. Everything living on the face of the earth was wiped out. People, animals, and the creatures that move along the ground, the birds were wiped from the earth. Only Noah was left and those with him in the ark. The waters flooded the earth for 150 days. Now, when I was reading this, um, I suppose when you're a child in Sunday school, this is quite a common story to teach children um, from the Bible. And I think in my head, we, I always think of the 40 days and the 40 nights where it rained and it flooded for 40 days and 40 nights. But actually, in total, Noah was in the ark for 150 days. Now, once Noah went into the ark, I'm because sure, I'm sure um, when Noah was building the ark there was lots of people that were doubting what he was saying I'm sure he had moments of doubting where he was what what God had told him to do and and even maybe he felt like there was silence from God after God had given him the command to build the ark but surely then once the rain came he knew that he had done what God had asked him to and yet for 150 days he was in the ark. And I don't know about you, but even, even in the midst of knowing, we've seen God, so, so Noah knew that he'd done the right thing because the floods came and the rains and the, the land was flooded and he was in the ark. But still, for 150 days, God, he didn't hear anything from God. There's no record of God saying anything to him. After God shut the door, there's no record. And then the Bible says this phrase which I think is quite interesting and actually it was in one of the songs and it says God remembered Noah. There's something I think a little bit funny about that because you think well you've just flooded the entire world there's nothing else left except Noah. You think you might remember you know but God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark. And I wonder for Noah if before that even leading up to it he wondered because I don't know that God told him how long it doesn't record in the Bible that God told him the time the length of time that he would have to be in the ark and so I wonder for Noah what it was like being even in the noisiness I wonder if he felt the weight of the silence of the waiting for God to speak again 150 days is quite a long time when you're I'm sure floating in an ark full of animals and so finally, after the 150 days, God finally tells Noah, once the waters recede, that they are able to leave the ark. We follow the biblical narrative and we meet Abraham. And Abraham's story, when we first meet Abraham, he's already 75 years old. And the Lord speaks to him and says, Go from your country, your people, and your father's house into the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. All the people on the earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham went and as the Lord had told him, Abraham was 75 years old when he set out. Now the Bible um, isn't always... um, doesn't always give us all the details of the story but with Abraham is very specific about his age and uh, several times throughout Abraham's life we're reminded of the age that Abraham is so at this moment when he's given his promise he's 75 years old and it's interesting that as we think about that 75 years is the first time that it's recorded that he spoke to him And there's different reasons maybe why it's included, but one of the reasons I think is that God wanted to give us a little bit of perspective. God wants us to realize that his age was important. It's easy when we have our Bibles in front of us to forget the passage of time. In some cases turning a page could be a day, in some cases it's a year, and in some cases it's even hundreds of years. So for us, just reading the next sentence can transport us years into the future. And we have full access to the story. So we know that God fulfills his promise to Abraham and that his descendants become numerous as the stars. But it's easy to forget that Abraham didn't have that benefit. Abraham wasn't given a timeline. He wasn't given a completion date. And he didn't have the ability to skip the page to pass the hard parts. Abraham had to live in the waiting. He had to endure with the sound of silence. He had to endure his questioning of God, questioning the promise that God had given him, questioning whether he'd heard what he thought he'd heard, questioning how long he would have to wait until they saw the fulfillment. And in the moments, and even he tried to speed the process up and help God by fulfilling the promise in the way that he thought it should be fulfilled. And in moments of silence, it's tempting for us to try and help God. Maybe in your time of waiting, you, like Abraham, have tried to help God out. Abraham wanted to be a father, and I'm sure it was part of his decision that pushed him to to try and help God fulfill the promise. And I wonder, was Abraham worried about God's reputation? I wonder if Abraham thought he was saving God from the embarrassment of his promise not being fulfilled, as people around him doubted, and he himself doubted what he had heard from God. But despite Abraham's failed attempt to help God, God was faithful to His word, and after 25 years, Abraham was—or Sarah, sorry—was told she was having Isaac, and Isaac was born. And it's easy to say that God's timing is not our timing, but it's far harder to live it out. And yet, the truth is still truth. Even when it seems like God is silent, even when it feels like it's far longer than we'd anticipated, God does not forget his promise. And I I don't know about you, but I think after waiting the 75 years and then the further 25 years, the age of 100, after God had given me the promise, if it was me, I I think I would have felt like, okay, now I can relax. God's given me his promise, he's fulfilled it, and now um, I'm going to have as many um, descendants um, as there are stars in the sky. But yet the story goes on to tell us that 15 years later, when Isaac was around 15, Abraham was asked to sacrifice his promise. He was asked to lay down his promise before God. And God was calling Abraham to trust him on a deeper level than he had ever been asked to before. And we, again, have the, the fortune of having the Bible that we can read on and we know that God um, intervenes and doesn't, doesn't allow Abraham to sacrifice his son. But God knew Abraham's heart and knew that he was willing to lay down the promise that God had given him for the giver of the promise. And there's so many examples as we follow this, the bi- biblical narrative Joseph had to wait a number of years between his, his dream of being um, a, a leader in his land and he had to walk through some dark, dark places including being imprisoned for something he didn't do. The book of Esther, we see lots of difficulties have the Jews and actually in the book of Esther we don't even hear, it's not recorded that God speaks and actually God's name isn't even mentioned and yet Esther would be a very important part of the biblical narrative. Throughout the Psalms we hear King David struggle and we see his heart as he cries out to God and cries out to God for his answer. We come to the book of Job and Job was crying out to God. God, Job was seen as a righteous man and yet God chose to test him. And Job had no idea why he was being tested or what was going on. And he cried out and cried out to God for answers. He wanted God to clear his name of the things that he was being accused of. And after all Job's struggles, after all the questions Job cried out to to God for, God finally spoke. And God asked Job, where was he in the beginning? Where was he in creation? What had Job done to call the universe into being, to create his own life or to make the possible existence of his possessions or his children or his health? We might have wanted God to answer all the questions that that Job had cried out looking for answers for, the questions from his friends, the questions from Job about what he'd been guilty of. And actually, you might have think, or we might have wanted to set the record straight We might have wanted the details and the clarity on all the the finer points of the questioning, but that's not what God did. God didn't answer Job's questions with answers, but his own set of questions. God didn't explain. He didn't reveal his plan, but instead he revealed himself. And in the midst of that, Job's questions weren't answered, but they disappeared in light of who God was and is. We see as the the biblical narrative goes on that God speaks through the prophets to the children of Israel. And finally we come to the book of Malachi and then we have what's known as the 400 years of silence. 400 years between the end of the book of Malachi and the beginning of the New Testament. There was dramatic change for the Jewish people at that time. The children of Israel were Moved and displaced, they fell into the Greeks and then to the Egyptian rulers. They were treated well in the beginning, but gradually, as time went on, things got worse for them. They faced pe- persecution, and their Jewish priesthood was challenged. The Holy of Holies in their temple was um, was desecrated by one of their one of the the leaders, and over a hundred years had passed since the last prophetic words were recorded. And in this silence, there was a group of Jews who decided to take some actions against their persecutors. A man called Judas Maccabeus, who was the priestly line of Aaron, led led a group of Jews in an uprising against um, their rulers and cleansed the temple. And some people even thought that this man who led this revolution was going to be the Messiah that God had promised to send them. And yet the fighting continued and the Jews and the Syrians fought until the Romans gained control and the temple was once again desecrated. Antipater became the ruler of Judea and appointed his two sons to be the kings of Galilee and Judea. And that brings us to where Herod was ruler over. Um, Herod was the ruler and the priesthood moved from being the priesthood to serve God to something that was politically motivated and it was no longer mattered that it was from the line of Aaron. The Jewish community then split further and there was the Sadducees and the Pharisees. The Sadducees wanted liberal, and liberal attitudes and practices and the, Sad- and the Pharisees were, were zealots who were keen to stick to the law. I don't know if you remember a few months ago, Brent spoke at the castle and he talked about how um, the Pharisees, when they, in, in their desire to serve God and to keep to the commandments he had given them, they not only stuck to the rules, but they then created rules around the rules to make sure that the rules were followed. So if the rule was not to sit on the chair, it became that you couldn't even stand within a certain distance of the chair and actually let's cover the chair so that we don't even look at the chair. And they added rules and rules and rules on top of the rules. And so there was a lot of confliction, there was a lot of difficulties in the time for the Jews and Jesus was born into all of this confusion and all of this mess. And into the silence of the, um, of the oppression and into the silence where God hadn't said anything that was recorded, Jesus was born. And so as I was thinking about all of this and as God was speaking to me about all these things, all these stories of his speaking into silence, of his moving in the seasons of waiting, I felt like God had said it was important that we are aware of these things because it was into those, into this um, situation, into this moment in history that God chose to send his son. Jesus moved in in this moment. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one of a kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. And secondly, I felt like God wanted us to learn something. And maybe for some of us, it's more of a reminder. I felt like God was saying, if we as a church are serious about moving into the neighborhood, if we truly want to pick up this mantle and make a difference in our community. There's something that we have to grab a hold of because there's something that your community needs. There's something that people who are meeting me for the first time need to know, see, and see lived out. And that is how to follow me through the silence. Some of us um, in this room would have been born into the millennial generation and unfortunately we're less affectionately known as the snowflake generation and some of the negative stereotypes that stick with that are that snowflakes are seen as lazy flaky and entitled and in some ways these are things that have filtered into the church there's a sense that people come to church for what they can get rather than for what they can give and I believe this morning that as we're preparing to move into our neighborhood and as we stand in this building or sit in this building in the middle of our neighborhood it's important that we change our perspective and it would have been easy to think of our time in the recreation center as a period of waiting, waiting for our own building or our own space but actually what if we thought about it as a time of preparation, of being prepared to be a church without walls, of being prepared to be people who can make home and make people feel at home wherever we are and of being prepared for our capacity to be stretched. The people in our neighborhoods need to see that our faith is enduring. Because the world has been teaching that everything is disposable. If it's broken, we can buy a new one. If it's boring or hard or difficult, we can give up and move on to something else. If it doesn't feel good, then why bother? And if you don't feel like meeting up with someone, it's easy just to send a text without even actually having an interaction with them. But God needs his people to be a people of enduring faith. The church needs to have enduring faith because moving into the neighborhood requires sacrifice and it requires far more than we are capable of on our own. So, when it feels like he is silent and it feels like God is not answering our deep prayers, the deep prayers of our hearts, and it feels like the waiting will never end, how do we respond? Is our faith built for endurance? Was God really silent for the 400 years between the Old and New Testament? It's hard to say, but he was probably speaking into the hearts of his people. But what we do know is that the Jews had an early form of what we now know as the Bible. And although the Pharisees took it to one extreme, we need to create rhythms of our life where the Bible is the focus. When God seems quiet, he has already given us his word where he has spoken. He's already recorded promises and the promises of his stories being in, in his stories are kept. His Bible the Bible is his story of him keeping his promises and his promise for redemption for all of humanity. We also have the advantage of knowing that after the four hundred years of silence, God sent Jesus into that moment. And as we desire to move into our neighborhoods, we need enduring faith to be able to show people the beauty of the Bible. And that can only happen when it's something that we know truly for ourselves. God always has something new to say to us, even when it feels difficult and it feels like the times of waiting will never end. God is not silent because he has given us his word, his story of enduring love for us. And there's times where there's parts we don't understand or parts that don't make sense but God is building in us a faith that will endure and even when we don't understand everything we can understand that the one who wrote it loves us dearly we need to be able to show people that not only has God not given up on them but he is desperately seeking and longing for them to return to him we can also use these moments of silence as an opportunity to pray differently. There are so many ways of praying and maybe for you it looks like finding something, new, finding a new way. Maybe you don't pray in a specific place and maybe it's time to set aside a specific place for you to pray or maybe you do pray in a specific place and God's saying maybe it's time to change that to shift your posture. Some people pray with music and some people pray in silence. Some people prayer walk and there's so many different ways of doing it, but God is always listening, regardless of how it feels to us. And by changing the way we pray or how we pray, it's not about guilting God into answering us because he's only ever going to answer us in his own time, but actually it might shift something within us. It might shift our perspective or it might actually give us a um, the posture might give us the chance to hear a little bit clearer what it is that God's saying to us or maybe accept what he's already said. We were made for a relationship with others and as we build relationship with those in our community, it's through those moments that we have the opportunity to share what it is that God has done in our lives. We have the chance to reach out to others. And especially during those moments when we feel lost and alone, it's important that we talk about that. Because people need to know that it's not always rose, rose-tinted rose glasses and good moments, that we all have struggles and we all have moments where life is hard and difficult and lonely. And it's easy to underestimate the struggles that other people are going through when we don't see the hours of prayer and fasting and tears and stress that have gone into the result that we do get to see so it's good to share those struggles it's good to share how long you've been praying for something before you got the answer because for every, for each situation the length of time is different and the struggle is different so it's important that we share this journey and open up about what's going on I think it was um at a conference in Havilah Cunnington shared this example and I thought it was really good. Her, her and her family were going away on holiday and one of her sons, they'd said they could earn some pocket money and one of her sons had worked really, really hard for days and days and days in the, on the lead up to their holiday to earn um, pocket money so that he would have some spending money when they were away um, and anyway, so I think he'd managed to save about $15, or $15 and... The day before the trip, his other brother had just not bothered. He didn't care. He was just chilling out. He was not bothered about earning money whatsoever. And the day before the trip, it was um, it must have been his birthday. And the other brother who hadn't bothered was given the gift of a £20 note. And now this the, the brother who'd been working hard all week and the weeks leading up was like, but that's not fair. I've worked so hard and now he has £20 and he did nothing to deserve it. And sometimes there's going to be moments where life looks like that. There's going to be moments where we're just given gifts that we don't deserve. And God answers our prayer really quickly, or we get the, the result or whatever it is, it's going to happen. And maybe we didn't deserve it. Maybe we did nothing to earn it, or maybe we did, but it was just not visible. And so the father is asking us to be people who have enduring faith. And that looks like celebrating with those who have their 20, $20 moments as well as praying through the moments where people are working really hard for their 15 And it makes those moments, when, when, when we have those moments of excitement and quick answers and quick results, they're only made more special because we've had those moments of enduring. God speaks to us and gives us moments where we p- couldn't possibly doubt his existence. And we are able to recognize them so well because we, ha- we have had times where it feels like God has been silent. We get the opportunity to pursue God. God, who is always pursuing us, wants to be pursued as well. He wants us to want a relationship with him. And just like in any friendship, he wants us to put in as much effort like he is. God wants us to show him his love show him how much we love him back and god wants to draw us out of silence he desires to love us and desires good for us and we can only truly appreciate joy and happiness we can appreciate it all the more when we've gone through difficulty to get there and in job's situation instead of instead of answering his questions and instead of fixing all the problems god revealed himself and in the midst of, of, of his problems, God's awesome power and presence, Job's questions didn't, weren't answered, but they disappeared. Our task is to remain faithful and obedient to who God is. God knows all the mysteries and isn't here to share all the details and the intricacies of what's going on but he needs us to have a faith that is enduring and a faith that is determined to trust him when he hasn't answered all the questions, when we haven't heard all the voices and when silence seems to be the loudest. We need to have a faith that is determined to trust him even while we are still waiting. Maybe in the moments of waiting, it's about changing the question to not why, but who. Who is it that we're praying to? Who is it that can fix our pain and heal our hearts? So would we be able to rest in the mystery of never understanding everything and yet knowing that God is always good and always loving? So can we this morning choose to trust God and continue to believe that he has a plan and a purpose for us, even in the silence, even in the waiting? Because not only do we need to know this, but our communities and neighborhoods need to know what enduring faith looks like. So this morning, just as we finish, we're going to just take a minute. And maybe if you want to close your eyes. And we're just going to hold out our hands and say, Father, in the moments where we feel empty, in the areas where we feel lacking and where it feels like you aren't speaking to us, Thank you that you are in control. Father, thank you that you are good. And thank you that you are speaking, even if we don't want to hear it or aren't listening. And so God, as we figure out what it looks like to have enduring faith, and as we, as we listen to your voice and try and listen in the noisiness, in the waiting, and in the silence, Father, thank you that you want to pour out your love on us. And in the places that we feel empty and worn out and run down, Father, would you just pour out your strength on us this morning? Where people feel tired and weary from from seeking answers. God, would you just pour out a fresh um, feeling and fresh revelation of who you are? that you are good, that you are a loving father and that you have our best interests in mind when you do things. So Jesus, thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you've spoken to each of us this morning in our hearts and in our minds. And God, help us to be people who live this out. Help us as we walk each day to be people who can bring people on the journey with us showing not only the good but the difficult and the hard and the bad and help us to be people who um, walk alongside those who are struggling but are able to celebrate equally with those who who are celebrating and so Jesus we lay it all down this morning We let go of any of the burdens that we've been carrying that you never asked us to. And we say, have your way in our hearts today. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your goodness, Jesus. And may each person leave here today knowing a deeper sense of your love for them knowing how treasured and cherished and worthy they are to be loved by you. And so God, we just say, have your way in this place. In Jesus' name.